Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I'm Larry, and this is my bride, Sherry. Indeed. Um, we are really glad y'all are here today. Um, we're going to be talking about miracles. Um, and it has been an interesting week studying what the Bible says about this subject. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure, now that I've started, I'm not sure exactly, uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced more than ever in my life, as I read what the Bible says about miracles, that one of the, the marks or characteristics of the people that we see in the Bible was that they consistently had lives that were miraculous, great, unexplainable. Uh, and you might say, well, that's sort of a broad way, and I mean it to be broad. But when you read about the people in the Bible, their lives stood out. And I don't think that was just the intention of the writers. I think that was the reality of these people's lives. Um, I, as most, those of you that come here at all, you know that it's a big deal to me that I spend time with the Lord every morning and I read my Bible every morning and I find um, great joy, great comfort, great strength, great hope as I read my Bible every day. I, I, those things come into my life. Every morning, I leave that time with hope and joy and strength and peace um, that I leaked out the day before, I guess you could say. But I got to be honest with you, as I read the Bible, there are times when I am um, envious of what the early Christians got to witness and experience in their relationship and journey with God. <laughs> they just saw things and experienced things that make me envious. Um, I wish at times that Jesus would do in my life and around my life and through my life what I see as I read the New Testament. I would love, I, I, I would love that. Um, I hear people tell me regularly 
that I talked to about having a relationship with the Lord. And one of the responses, just standard responses is, if Jesus or God did in front of me what he did in the Bible, if he did Bible miracles in front of me, I'd believe. And then when I hear that, it makes me sad. It makes me... I don't even know what it what it does. I'm not blaming God or I'm not mad at God, but I, I'm like, dang. I wish, I wish that that could happen in front of their eyes. Um, and according to my wife and my daughter, who have been wrong at some point in the past, sometime, right? But they say I'm a two. <laughs> He's talking about the Enneagram, if you yeah. don't know what that's I don't know that I am a two, but they say I'm a two. And if that's right, if that's correct, <laughs> if that's correct, then it won't surprise you to hear me say, I long to... Rare is the day that I'm not confronted with somebody who has a life of pain or a life of need or problems that are bigger than Mount Everest. And being a two... Wait a minute, let me guess. You want to fix it. I want to fix it. You want to fix it. I want to, I want to, I want to help them. I want to make it right and good. Um, I do. And well, maybe okay. that's maybe that's, wrong that's with that. Well, that's a strength of a two. I, I, maybe I don't know, but I, I, I would like to do in their lives that which is miraculous, and that will deliver them, or heal them, or provide for them. One of the fundamental verses or ideas in the in the Bible is right in the first chapter where it says that God created us in the image of God. He created us to be image bearers. And that's a that's a a big idea. What what does it mean to bear the image of God? What does it mean to reflect the image of God? That's a that's a big thing. But I would like to at least suggest to y'all that part of what it means to be a image bearer of God, one that reflects God, is that we, like our the one that we reflect, we should have lives that are miraculous. God is a miraculous God. If He's anything, He's that. And if I reflect His image, then should I not and should you not also have lives that in some way or some ways display the miraculous? Um, I think God gave every one of us a longing for that. I think there's a part of us... Uh, 
deep down in our hearts and souls, we long to be a part of something that is unexplainable. I think that's why people want to go into outer space <laughs> or go in a, in a, which I don't understand. Since the Bible says low, I'm with you. I think you ought to stay low. But anyway, people want to go into outer space and people want to go down the bottom of the sea and people want to go uh, 300 miles an hour, which I would like to do that. Like to but, do uh, that. but uh, you know, we want to do the unexplainable or that which we've never witnessed or experienced before. And I think that's, uh, that's part of being an, uh, 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 an image bearer of God. God created us to want to be a part of things that are miraculous and wonderful and unexplainable and eternal. I think that's why God says things in the Bible like in Jeremiah 33. I want to, this is God talking in all of these. I want to show you great and mighty and unexplainable things that you've never imagined before. God says in Isaiah 40, I want to give you supernatural strength so that you can soar like an eagle and run and walk and never grow weary. When everybody else is falling down, weary and exhausted and tripping over stuff, you won't. That's the desire of God for us. In Psalm 18, God says, I want to give you power to overcome armies and to scale walls and barriers. In Joshua 23, God says, I want to give you the ability to single-handedly defeat thousands. And when you team up with a handful of your buddies, you'll be able to conquer tens of thousands. Is that not miraculous? I mean, is that, do you hear God saying, I want you to be a part of things that are unexplainable. In Psalm 126, he says, I want, this is God, I want to do miraculous things. It's literally the word. I want to do miraculous things for you that will fill your life with joy. Jesus says that in you. Well, that's on the Old Testament. That's exactly right. But in the New Testament, Jesus says in Mark 11, I want to give you the power to tell mountains that are blocking your way, go jump in the sea. And in John 14, Jesus says, I want my followers to do the works that I've been doing and even greater works than those. And then if you read Hebrews 11, the, sort of the hall of faith, uh, where God really highlights the, the this is the A-team. These, the, this is the, 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 uh, the description of the lives of, of people that have known me and walked with me. He says, they'll do things like they'll split seas wide open. They'll defeat armies. They'll raise the dead. They'll stop the sun in its tracks. They'll provide water and bread where there is none in the desert and they will call fire down from heaven. I think it's implied, this, this idea that, that God wants us to be a part of the miraculous, to display lives that are unexplainable. When people look at us, they'll go, what's that about? 
Why, why does he act like that? Why does she do that? I don't understand. That's confusing to me. And equal, why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't she react? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's, a, it's a balance both ways. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. I think it's implied in First uh, uh, Peter chapter 2 and I think in Exodus as well where, where the Bible says that God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. That's, that's awkward language, the way that's worded. What he's saying is that God has called us to be royalty and to be though and to be a link between God and people. God has called us to be princes and princesses, to be royalty and to literally be the link like Aaron was between God and mankind. That's the calling that God has upon your life. I don't know all that that means, but at least it suggests that we were created to have lives of impact and power and authority and not just what'd you do yesterday I got up went to work came home ate some supper watched some TV and went to bed what'd you do the day before that I got up went to work came home ate some supper went to bed if 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 we're anything, I don't know all that it means to be the royalty of God's family or to be the, the, the priesthood, to be the link between God and man. My goodness, who is up for that challenge? But at least it doesn't mean that. That all we do is just go through this, you know, you see what I'm saying? Well, it's 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 the story of Sisyphus, isn't it? Just yes, roll the boulder. Yes, ma'am. I mean, thought of that, but yes, that's exactly right. Up the hill, and yes. at the end of the day, it's going to roll back down. That is the way it is. That is the way it is. No matter how much he fights against mm -hmm. it, or his angst, Sisyphus, the, the myth, how angry he is at it's going up or it's going down, it doesn't change anything. Although there's a moment, maybe we'll come back to it. There's a moment where the writer says, even though one must imagine Sisyphus happy. So maybe mm. that's where we're going mm. in this, in that, that perpetual circle. But that's nothing we can do about that. Right. Right? I mean, it's right. sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but yeah. it always, it never stops. Right. But somewhere in there, there's a moment where one must imagine happiness. Mm. Yes, sir. That in the midst of our routine, can the miraculous be displayed? Yes, that's right. Yeah. What kind of choice do we have over that? Mm -hmm. I want you to use, put on your thinking caps with me just for a few minutes, and I want you to jump in here, please. I don't think there's a human being that's, you know, got a brain bigger, you know, Surely, if you got a brain bigger than an English pea, you. Everybody wants miracles. 
Who, who would go, uh, well, didn't you want, you, would you like to have a life of marriage? No, thanks. Well, no, of course we all want that. But as I studied this this week, it ca I came to the conclusion, do I really? Do I really want a life of miracles? Would I like to have a life of the miraculous? Um, if you study the topic of miracles in the Bible, one of the things, and you might touch on this, uh, I think Lewis said, uh, when, do, when do miracles take place most yeah, often? It's right here. Yeah. So he wrote a, C.S. Lewis wrote an entire book on miracles. This is not it, but um, it's excerpts from it. And so if you want to read the whole book, you should read the whole thing. But it's he brilliant, says, by the way, God does not shake miracles into nature at random as if from a pepper shaker. He and, says, that's, and that's what I think most of us think. God just randomly, like Bill Gates, would take $1,000 bills and fly out of an airplane and just every once in a while throw them out the window. Uh, and lucky you, one <laughs> fell right in front of you. You know, the, But there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, that's too random, isn't it? It's yes. just wherever the, wherever the miracle right. might fall right. is too random. He goes on to talk about history, spiritual history and social history. And he says, if we, if your own life does not happen to be near a great moment, how should you expect to see one? If we were heroic missionaries or apostles or martyrs, it might be a different matter. Nothing almost sees miracles but misery. Miracles and martyrdoms tend to bunch about the same areas of history, areas we have naturally no wish to frequent. Now, he's not saying mm. there are no miracles. Clearly, he is not saying that at all. But what he's saying is where history, both biblical, spiritual, and social, show miracles are times of great hardship. Martyrdom, misery, when one is in, perhaps, in despair, or when a culture is in despair, or when a group is in despair, or enslaved, or whatever. I find that to be an incredible statement. And if, those of you that are going, I'm not sure about you, go back to your Bible, go back to your Bible and you study. And what you'll find is that miracles tended to occur during times of great suffering and great persecution. The two people in the Bible that didn't do any miracles, Abraham and David. I don't think, can you think of a miracle that one of them did? Abraham was wealthy his whole life. He was, why would he need a miracle? David was king. It was the people in the Bible that were in seasons of incredible persecution or suffering they were the ones that, that witnessed the miracles of God. I find that, so my question is, Larry, you, would you like to be a miracle worker? Do you know what that's going to cost? Do you know what that's going to take? It's not just uh, me jumping out of my Lexus and running into the hospital 
because Cleo uh, has a broken leg and I want to work a miracle and fix your leg and I run back and jump in my Lexus and go back to my nice air-conditioned house. That, nothing wrong with any of that. But if you want to, if, you, if you'll study miracles, it's a, it's a very, uh, the people that were living at ease with a lot, with lives of abundance, you don't see miracles in the Bible. I find that very, very interesting. I also find it very interesting that there is no evidence in the Bible that miracles ever created lasting faith in anybody's life. You don't see. I'm not saying miracles weren't important. And let me, I, I meant to say this at the beginning. I believe in miracles. I believe God did miracles in the Bible. I believe every miracle in the Bible literally happened. And I believe God still does miracles. So don't misunderstand me. But I am to give me an example where miracles impacted people with long-term faith. Okay, I have another example. Not of that, of, of your point, not of your, your dare there. Um, uh, if you know me at all, you know I, I like Fyodor Dostoevsky. I know it's weird. Thanks, thanks, thanks. You're not, you're not. Well, all right then. Well, it's fine. Doing? Sorry. Am I good? I think so. Okay. okay. Um, I like, I teach Dostoevsky, and, and in his book, uh, The Brothers Karamazov, which is, some people say, the best novel ever written. Say it in some. Well, you know, it just depends on who you're talking to. Uh -uh. He has a long passage, a famous passage about miracles. And in that, he states Larry's point entirely. Hmm. Or Larry states Theodore's point entirely. I like the, the first one. As the case may be. Like um, and that is that miracles never bring, this is what he says, miracles never bring a realist to faith. And what he means by a realist is somebody who's like, realistic and, and lives by logic alone, that that person, according to Dostoevsky, will not be brought to faith or to lasting change based on a miracle. Because if he indeed sees, he or she, indeed sees a miracle, they will then say, well, that's just something I never understood before. That's just a, a phenomenon in nature I've never seen before. That's a trick. They will, they will explain the miracle away. He says, this is super famous and I love it, it's so good. He says, faith is not born from miracles, but miracles from faith. Mm. Well, we know that he to says be true. exactly yeah. what you said. Ask Pharaoh. No one yeah. saw more clear, un, even his own a little entourage of helpers. Pharaoh, this dude is doing miracles. He is going to destroy our nation. I mean, they're not even back. Ask Judas. Nobody saw more Ju uh, miracles than Judas. Ask the people of Israel that were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Every day they saw a miracle. Multiple miracles every day. How, how are their faith? Miracles do not create faith. If I just saw a miracle, I'd have faith. I'd believe. But that's not the testimony of the Scripture. I also find it very interesting that Paul and Jesus and the, 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 the individuals in the... Now think with me here. 
Elijah, Elisha, they were big miracle workers. Moses, big miracle workers. Jesus and Paul. I'm sure I left somebody out, but you see my point. What kind of lifestyle did they live? <laughs> they never used a miracle to personally benefit themselves or their loved ones. Is that what you see? You don't see the people that did the miracles in the Bible, they lived very humble, very meek, very, uh, uh, they, they were not driving. I'm not against big fancy cars. That's not my point today. But these are people that, uh, like, uh, like Elisha, Elijah, I've forgotten which dead girl, which one is Elisha, I can think it is. He, did, he didn't even have, a, a lady had to get, build him a little extra room. He didn't even have a place to live. We're talking about being Jesus, the Apostle Paul. These are people that lived incredibly modest, humble. They never you you would think they would have banks full of money just rolling out. And you would think that they would use their miracles to protect themselves from suffering and persecution. They suffered and were persecuted more than anybody. The very people, they, that's why they said, Jesus, if you can heal others, heal yourself. Do, use your miracles for yourself. Yeah, I will not do that. It's very, it's very interesting. They had lives of suffering and they had lives without abundance or wealth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the message of the New Testament church was not about the miracles of Jesus. The message of the New Testament church, according to Paul, now what's he know? In 1 Corinthians 15, our message is first and foremost that Christ lived and He suffered and He died and He rose again. But Jesus, what about the miracles, Paul? Are you going to tell people about the miracles? I'm not saying he never taught, mentioned them, but he said our message first and foremost is the life, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says to preach Christianity meant primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection mm -hmm. is the central theme in every Christian sermon. The miracle of the resurrection and the theology of that miracle comes first. The biography comes later and the commentary comes later. <laughs> hmm. um, that, hmm. that the comes first. C.S. Lewis says comes first. The miracle of the resurrection comes first. Isn't that funny that what we want to do is to have a big crusade and we put a sign out front that says, come to the meeting and see the miracles. And then at the end, if we have time, we'll tell you about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says exactly the opposite. Come and let me tell you about this person and what he did when he lived and died and rose again. Maybe sometime at the end a miracle might happen. Exactly the opposite of the world we live in today. 
There is no passage of Scripture, in my opinion, that's more significant in the Bible than Genesis chapter 12. And that's where God puts a calling upon Abraham, which the Bible says is the father of faith. And the calling that God placed upon Abraham was, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. I consider myself one of Abraham's disciples. I have faith in the same God that Abraham had faith in. And I think the calling that God placed upon Abraham is the calling that God's placed upon me and each of you. And that is that God has called us to take seriously our responsibility to be a blessing to the nations. And that's what he says, not to people. It's not what it says. I'm not saying that's not a good thing, but that's not what it says. What it says is, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And then Paul would tell you in Romans that that calling has been passed down to us. I have to believe that one of the purposes when God chooses to display through us His miraculous power? Could it be when we understand and embrace that calling to, be a, to use miracles to be a source of blessing to the nations? Not just to me and mine, my neighbor, my kids, my wife, my coworker. Those are great people. God bless every one of them. But if the calling of God that He has placed upon your life and my life is to be a means of blessing to the nations, would miracles not be something that God would then share with people? And I think the testimony of the Bible would validate that when God gave people the power to do miracles, they were actively and seriously involved in participating in God's plans of blessing the nations. Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before others that they will see your good deeds and glorify my Father. Not see your miracles, but your good deeds. In, uh, 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 Peter says in Acts chapter 10, Jesus went around doing good and healing people that were oppressed by the devil. Ooh, that really spoke to me. Was Jesus' healing power, and I'm not going to argue with you if you disagree with my conclusion. I'll even say I'm probably wrong and you're probably right. So if you disagree with me, let's just agree up front, you're right, I'm wrong. Okay? And I mean that. But I read that and I pondered that all week that Jesus went around, according to Peter, doing good 
and healing people that were sick. No. He went around doing good and healing people that were enslaved by the devil. His healing was targeted not just to, at people that were sick, but people that were made sick by spiritual attack, spiritual oppression. And then in Galatians chapter 5, I'm just sort of giving y'all a theology lesson here on what I discovered about. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, does God, I'm sorry, does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do so by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Does God give His Spirit and do miracles? And the, the implication is, yes, He does. God still gives His Spirit out. And He still does miracles among you. But when? Does He do it by the works of the law? Does He do it when you and I obey every little rule and mark every, draw every, draw a line across every T and dot every I and fight and we live this perfect life? Is that when God does miracles? Or by hearing by faith? Really spoke to me. When people in the Bible did miracles, it wasn't just that they wanted a miracle. It's that they felt like they had heard a word from God to do a miracle. See, most of the time when I pray for people, when I pray for you, I pray for every, most, almost every one of you this morning, early, by name. And I prayed certain things that you've asked me to pray for you, miraculous things. But you know why I did it? Because you asked me to. Not because I felt like God told me to pray something specific for you. I'm not saying that never happens, but my point is we want to see miracles because we ask God to do miracles, but we ask God to do the miracle just because we want a miracle. Not because we felt like we were directed by God to do that miracle or to ask for that miracle. Or to bless the nations, as you said earlier. Yeah. Or, Yes, thank you. Anything else? Well, so I had, he was talking about miracles all week, and we were reading about miracles all week, and, and I am reading through Second Kings. You remember the story of Hezekiah? I think it's chapter 20. He, in the midst of all these terrible kings, there's this bad king after bad king after bad king, and they're all, you know, putting up idols and, you know, you know uh, fertility poles and all these things. And every once in a while, there's a good one that comes around, and Hezekiah was one of those. And where I'm going is what happens sometimes when a person experiences a miracle. Not always. Not always, but in the case of Hezekiah. And so anyway, um, he was the king, and the Assyrians were coming, and they were going to overthrow them, and everyone knew it, and they had far more <coughs> chariots and men and all the things. And Hezekiah was scared and so of, of this defeat for Judah. And so he's impending defeat. Yeah, it was, it was coming. coming. Yeah, yeah, it was coming. And so he asks the um, prophet Isaiah for a miracle so that they won't be defeated by the Assyrians. And it happened. And there's this long story about what happened and the Assyrians were tricked and everything, but it happened and they did not fall to the Assyrians. And Hezekiah was so happy. Miracle had happened. 
And then a few years later, it came his time to die. You might, might remember the story. And so he was old and about to die, and he didn't want to. He wasn't ready. And so he, he said, I've lived a good life. I've, I've honored you. I don't want to die. Please give me more life. And God did. Basically what he said was, God, if you really love me. You'll give me more. You'll give me more. And that so was basically what he said. He got and 15 said, well, more I years. So okay. So he did. <laughs> 15 more years. So that's miracle number two. Miracle number three. When um, Isaiah, I suppose, or whoever told Hezekiah his life was going to be extended, you know what he said? Very human. I love this story because it's so human. I want a sign, he said. Give me a sign. And so they did. Um, the prophet said, okay. They, had a, they told time by a sundial. Do you want the sundial to go forward or backward? And, and Hezekiah, being the bright man he was, said, well, it always goes forward, so make it go backward. So it went backward 10 steps. Larry said, we, he looked it up, it's like about an hour or something like that, but it doesn't matter. They could see the sun go back. Go backwards. He made a cosmic miracle. You think about you the ramifications You can buy that or not buy it, but I buy it. Yeah, you know, I mean, the whole, the sun. Something happened and it went back, time went back an hour. Three huge miracles in Hezekiah's life that he asked for and got. Now, the one thing I forgot to say at the beginning is at the beginning when the Assyrians were coming, he was very, very humble. Rescue us, rescue us, help us. Lord have mercy, woke up and went to bed crying out for mercy. He gets the mercy, he gets the extended life, he gets the sundial, that's it. In the 15 years that he got left, that he was given, um, he had ac accumulated all this wealth for the, for the land. And so the kings from other lands, he invited the kings from other lands to come in and said, you know, he said, look at all the wealth that I've uh, accumulated. He was very proud of, of all that had happened. And he said, look at all the wealth that I've accumulated. And in the end, I wrote it down so I didn't want to forget, in the end, when his life really was ending, after the 15 years, he got a prophecy that everything was going to go badly after he died for his sons and everybody, for his children. And this is what he said. Well, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. I hear people saying that today, don't you? <clears throat> I think it's important that, not that everyone does this, this is one man's story, but that our tendency as human beings is to cry out for mercy and be humble. And then when we get the mercy, the miracle. The miracle is not always a blessing, or at least not the blessing we thought it was. Even if it is, we become proud of the very gift that we were given miraculously. Mm. Wow. So perhaps it's no wonder <laughs> that we see few of them. Thank you. One last thought. I left this study all week with one overwhelming thought. I wonder if we're focused on the wrong miracles. Job experienced a miracle, lost everything, and got back double. Great life, lost everything, got back double. A miracle! 
Was that the miracle? Or was the miracle that there was a man who lost every, had everything and lost everything and yet he still said, though God kill me, I'll trust him. That's the story. Can I expect good from God but not also accept evil from God? Was the Abraham miracle old man like uh, was that dude that Bur George Burns you know I mean uh, a 99 year old man has a baby a miracle was that the miracle of Abraham's life or was it there was a day when there was a man who felt led of God to take that which he valued over everything on earth and give it to God. And Abraham said, I'll do it. I'll give you that which I value more than anything. Joseph, Joseph going from being slave, uh, yeah, slave and prisoner to run into Egypt. A miracle! Was that the miracle? Or was the miracle that when Joseph was a slave and a servant, he remained faithful and true and trusted God. And when he had the opportunity to punish any way he wanted those that had wronged him, he forgave mm -hmm. and blessed. Was the miracle for Moses? You don't mean a miracle, dude. Locusts, darkness, blood. Man, that dude could do Red Sea. He was, a, he was a miracle, dude. But was that the miracle? From God's perspective, was that the miraculous in Moses' life? Or could it be? that there was a man that looked into the face of God and knew God as intimately as any human and said, God, if it comes down to you saving your people or me, save them. Destroy my soul if it means saving your people. Could that have been the miracle? David was the miracle in David's life that he could kill a giant with a slingshot or when he had the opportunity to kill the person that had hunted him and wronged him and betrayed him and tried to kill him and David said, I will not do it. I will not do it. And he chose the high road. When we are challenged to be courageous and honest and forgiving and sacrificial, when we are confronted with bigotry and prejudice and greed, and from God's perspective, where's the miracle? 
Could it be when we, are, we accept the grace of God and take the high road and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, is that not the more, the greater miracle? And is that not what people will notice more than anything? How does that work? How do you always choose to be honest when everybody would choose to be dishonest? You stay faithful when everybody else chooses not to be faithful. And on and on and on. God wants us to live lives that are miraculous. I think we should be open to the kind of miraculous life that God offers us and makes available to us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I don't know why you would take bread and juice and eat and drink it. I can tell you that I eat and drink this as a way of declaring to myself one more time and declaring to you one more time that God miraculously gave His Son and sent Him to die for my sins and your sins, which He did. And through that death, He paid the debt that I owed to a holy God for my unholy life and made me acceptable in His sight. And then He miraculously rose again from the dead. And I eat and I drink to declare that that's what I believe. And I invite you to join me in doing the same thing. Go ahead.